The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Good morning, church. Today's reading is Psalms 1 and 2. You can find it on page 448 of your chair Bible. Psalms 1 and 2, page 448. If you don't have a Bible with you today, uh, we would like you to take one of these as our gift to you. Psalms 1 and 2, page 448. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The word of the Lord. Uh, great to be with you, everybody. Hope you had a good Christmas. Excited to share this word with you today. Will you pray with me? Let's ask for God's help. I know I need it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just acknowledge who you are, Lord so wise, so powerful, uh, so present. You're with us here right now. Lord, I thank you so much for bringing each person in here today. They're valuable, important, Lord. Uh, we love them. And Lord, we just pray that uh, for each one of us, you really would come and speak. Lord, uh, do something in our hearts and in our minds that is far greater than anything I could say with words I've put together. We, we ask and we just echo that song we sang, Lord, that you would speak, renew our minds, change our hearts uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, as we head into the new year, I wanna spend a little bit of time with you in the Psalms. Uh, so you might be thinking, well, why? Well, here's why. What, what are you thinking about as you enter into the new year? Um, is it a time when you take stock of your life again and you're like, what am I living for? What am I here for? Is it a time when you're looking ahead and saying, how can I improve or uh, change things a little bit? Or maybe it's a time when you, when you need hope and despair, them in the midst of confusion. I just feel like as we hit the new year, we're full of all sorts of contexts and concerns. Maybe it's just a, a setting for celebration and thanksgiving. Uh, the Psalms offer all of these things in the context of a relationship with God. Let me give you a quote from uh, the old theologian, John Calvin. Listen to what he said about the Psalms. He said, I'm in the habit of calling this book the anatomy of all the parts of the soul. For not an affection will anyone find in himself an image of which is not reflected in this mirror. You see what he's saying? Every experience you go through, 
despair, longing, joy, celebration, anger, hopelessness, betrayal, uh, satisfaction. It's all right here. Um, as if you're kind of reading the journal of God's people through the ages, edited by God himself. That's why I call the Psalms a community event for your heart. Because it, it's really interesting to me that a Psalm is a prayer. It's talking to God, thinking about God, asking God for something, or even angry with God about something. And yet it's inspired by God. So he's setting up this room for his people to come to him and saying, when life throws this at you, when you're facing that, when you have this kind of a challenge, come to me like this. Let your heart come to me like this. It's a community event for your heart and we're all invited in. So today, as we're facing the start of a new year, I know one thing you're all looking for you can tell me I'm wrong afterwards, but I'll debate you, okay? So I'm looking forward to that if anybody wants to try that. I know what you're looking for. You wanna be happy. Anybody in here, you're like, nope, not me. <laughs> okay, well, of course. You want, uh, sometimes we give up on it, but we still wish you could come around the corner. What if you knew God wanted to give it to you? Think about that. What if you knew that God wanted you to be happy? Uh, would that surprise you? Would you be open to that as, a, as an option? We're gonna look at the first two Psalms together today. As you heard it read, maybe you're wondering, why would you do two at once? Well, here's a couple of reasons. The first one is, as we're gonna spend a couple weeks in the Psalms, Psalm one and two are really the pillars for all the rest of the Psalms. They get everything started. They set the stage for understanding everything that comes next. So in order to understand the big picture of the Psalms, you need to get a grasp on these two Psalms. Second is they complement one another, and I hope to show you that, how in themes they're nearly identical in what they're talking about. They're nearly identical. They lead you to, a, to the same place, loads of similarities. So I think we'll understand them better as we understand them together. And the third thing I'll say here, why Psalm 1 and 2 together, they're both about pure happiness. That is what these Psalms are about. Pure happiness. So have you ever read through the whole Psalms before? You'll, you'll get, uh, they're divided into five books, which is really interesting. If you're a kind of a Bible scholar, first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the law, and then all of a sudden you get the Psalms divided in the, into five books, kind of Huh, what are they doing there? Well, it's the heart of someone who trusts the law, believes God's law, what it's like to experience that. Uh, there's despair in there, there's lostness, but there's also hope. And so as you get towards the end, the last Psalm is Psalm 150, and maybe we'll look at that later. But I'll, I wanna say something about that Psalm here, and that's this. In six verses, Psalm 150 says, praise the Lord 13 times. It's like a praise the Lord rap or something in Hebrew. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Even if you're new to the Bible, you're like, I don't know what it's about. Read it one more time. Praise the Lord. What's it about? Praise the Lord, okay? And it's not like a command thing. Notice, go ahead, praise him again. I need, I need 12 praise the Lords from you today. Go ahead. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. No, 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 no. It's an exclamation. The people involved in the psalm are actually praising the Lord, and you'll remember uh, that praise, right, it's a, it's a church word, but you remember that praise is actually the most common thing that human beings do, and it's when we're the most happiest. Did anybody do any praising this Christmas? My kids did, okay. My boys got remote control cars. Look at this! What are they doing? This is so awesome, what is that, folks? That's praising. You are sharing joy in something with someone else, okay? Anybody get to see a grandkid this week, okay? What did you do as you were squeezing their little cheeks? Oh, look at them all. Okay, what were you doing? You were praising. Something gave you joy and you were expressing that joy. Praising is the, is the happiest you ever get. And so for the psalm to say, praise the Lord 13 times at the end of the psalms, it leads you to this mountaintop of the people of God are happy. 
Psalm 1 and 2, if you fit in with Psalm 1 and 2, you'll end up singing with Psalm 150. If you line up with Psalm 1 and 2, you'll end up praising with Psalm 150. So let's think of Psalms 1 and 2 like the arms of the Psalms. What I'm trying to say is, is they, they parallel one another. They hold the Psalms together. They're the strength of the Psalm, the major themes of the Psalms. Today I wanna show you five principles or themes or emphases that these two Psalms have together. So look at how this is working out, right? Two arms, five principles, okay? The fingers of the hands on the Psalms, on these two Psalms, Psalms one and two, that give strength to the Psalms and strength to those who will trust them. So here's my five fingers, five principles in these two Psalms I wanna walk through with you. Number one, ultimate reality. I'm just gonna give you a warning. I'm gonna use the word ultimate too much. This will be the ultimate usage of the word ultimate. Um, what do I mean by that word ultimate? Well, one of the dictionary uh, definitions is the best or most extreme example of its kind. The best or most extreme example of its kind, and, that, and that's what I mean. Ultimate reality, the best or most extreme example of its kind. Uh, the ultimate opportunity, the best, most extreme example of its kind. The ultimate advice, the best and most extreme example of its kind. The challenge for your heart, and then finally, the ultimate refuge. So if you're trying to follow along, reality, opportunity, advice, challenge, refuge. Let's begin. Ultimate reality. How would you answer that if uh, we were walking around at the pier and I handed you a survey or something and I said, how would you define ultimate reality? What would you say? You know, when you, when you ask that question, you're like, where did we come from? Why are we here? Why is there any design or purpose or meaning? You know when you argue with somebody and say, you should. You ever done that? You should have, okay. What's the, what's the why behind the should? How can you say that somebody should have? Well, because it's right. Oh, and where did you get that? What made it right or wrong? It's, it's the authority, it's the meaning, it's the purpose. So we take those things for granted a lot of times, but everybody has some sort of a view on ultimate reality. And the Psalms, they definitely have a view on ultimate reality. And I think we can wrap it all up with one, with one uh, phrase, the Lord. The Lord is the reality behind these two Psalms. So in each of these two Psalms, you kind of have two roads. We're gonna get into this. There's the bad road, don't walk that. There's a really good road that's gonna make you happy. Don't walk here, walk there. The, the reality over that, setting down those roads, the reality to which those roads will run into is the person of the Lord. And that's the name of our God, right? Why do we call him Lord instead of granddaddy? Okay, why do we call him Lord instead of vending machine? Because of his authority. Uh, he's the Lord who has spoken in Psalm 1. Uh, we know from the storyline of the Bible that God spoke the world into existence it's his, he created it, designed it in all its glory and its beauty, but he is Lord over it because he speaks it into existence. He's also Lord of our lives and we know what he wants and what's right and wrong. His entire word, he has authority, he's the Lord, he's king, he's the source, he has a law. It's ultimate reality. Same thing with Psalm 2, the Lord. I think he's mentioned, what, six times explicitly the Lord. And then there's he referring to the Lord. He's all over the psalm. Half the psalm is his perspective. And in Psalm 2, the, the Lord has a king. I'm raising up a king. This is my guy. All the nations are gonna have to bow before him. Uh, this is the way it's gonna be. You can like it, you can not like it. Sorry, he's my king. And he can do that because he's Lord and he's taking the entire story of history to this king. And so the first thing just to sit back and realize as we encounter these Psalms is the ultimate reality of the Lord. 
I read a book once about um, how it's easy for Christians to be practical atheists. You can have a formal theology and an actual theology. You know, your formal theology is like filling out your, your Christian uh, factoid list. Check, true, false. What do you believe? Oh, I believe this. Your actual theology is what motivates the choices you make. It's what you actually do, how you actually treat people, what actually motivates you, what you actually want. Your formal theology, hey, we wanna be careful, we wanna, we wanna be detailed, it's important. But your actual theology is really where the rubber meets the road. Some people have had magnificent, epic formal theologies. And then you look at their lives and you're like, we could use a little actual. Yeah, I've, that's, that's me sometimes. Um, what's your actual theology as you hit the new year? Your goals, your hopes, your despairs, your longings, your desires, where you're going, does it take into account the ultimate, ultimate reality of the Lord and that the streams of your life are moving towards him and there's no way out, there's no way to say, hey, stop the world, I'd like to get off, catch a different bus. There's just this bus and it's going ultimately to meet the Lord. What does he mean to your life, to your mindset, to your relationships? That's the first thing to grab onto here, the ultimate reality of the Lord. The second thing to see, the ultimate opportunity. What's amazing is that the ultimate Lord is offering ultimate Happiness. So look at Psalm 1, verse 1. What does it say? Blessed is the man or the one, man or woman. Blessed is the person. What does the end of Psalm 2 say? The very last sentence. Blessed are all. Okay, so what are these psalms motivating you towards? You want to be blessed. Now that's a very church word. You're like, what's the definition of blessed? So that's the friendly feeling you have when someone acknowledges you when you sneeze. <laughs> it's just a high, mountaintop high. Could you bless you? Oh, thanks. And it's just, you, that's what you can have in these Psalms. Well, of course, that's ridiculous. Uh, Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner says, this word means nothing less than deeply happy. It's what the word means. Satisfied, happy. So be amazed that these psalms that are the arms of the entire book of psalms are about, hey, you wanna be happy? I've got you. I wanna make you happy. I want you to be satisfied. I, I want you to make it to, to joy, to peace, to thriving. Incredible. Psalm 2 actually says you can rejoice with trembling. How do you feel about that? Rejoice with trembling. It seems like uh, those two things don't go together, right? Sometimes when you're trembling, you're not happy. Uh, sometimes when you're happy, you're not trembling. What kind of happiness are we talking about? But I, I don't know, I don't know. So um, some of us surf. I have tried to surf, okay? And uh, when you go and try to surf and there's no waves, it stinks. Uh, but if you've ever, if maybe you can just imagine tried, trying to surf, or if you do surf, big, beautiful wave, but then you're like, that one's gonna be too big, okay? That one's too large for me. And you begin to tremble. But imagine you could get on the wall of that wave and actually ride that thing. What would you do coming down the side? You would rejoice. What is it, what is it where we want to see beauty or magnificence or grandeur that scares us a little bit? Why do I want to go backpacking where there's grizzly bears? I want to, why? Because it's raw, it's beautiful, come on. So you think of this Lord who is God, I mean, if you ponder what it means for God to be God, especially in the light of his word, his holiness, his purity, but his power, his power, his wisdom, for you to, to get up and to see that, or, or for God to have a king, and for you to face that king, 
There is no way, if this is true, if you don't believe this, just imagine that it's true, God's king, and you face him, there's no way you will be there without some trembling. But to be there and to be loved and to be received and to be welcomed, that would be rejoicing with trembling. And that would be the best kind of rejoicing. Because you would be overwhelmed by the beauty, the magnificence of it. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, hey guys, would you like to be happy? And think of now all the efforts you have gone through to be happy. Did anybody try to be happy last year? <laughs> of course, you all did. How did it go? Okay, are you just riding, riding on the clouds of utter bliss now? That you've been trying to be happy the last however many years of your lives? Okay, have any of you, here's, here's real talk now, have any of you pursued something that you thought would make you happy and you got to the other side and you were like, dumpster fire? Okay? If I just had the stuff, if I just had the title, if I just had the job, if I just had that relationship, if I just had that with me now, if I just had and you get there and ah, <laughs> uh, can you trust yourself as the ultimate authority on what will make you happy? Please sit with me here for a moment. When we look at God's word and we look at things he's telling us and we go, no, I can't do that. No, I won't do that. No, I can't be that. One thing your heart is saying is, I want to be happy and I know what will make me happy and God, you and your word are a flawed guide towards that happiness. And so I will need to move you over here and I will need to go over there if I truly want to be happy. Yeah, you think that's true? And so both of these Psalms are saying, give up on being the authority on your own happiness. You're no good at it. Trust me to take you to that place. In fact, the Psalms are saying happiness starts with, the re with realizing that the expert on your happiness isn't you. It's the Lord and his word. Ultimate reality, ultimate opportunity of happiness. Now here's the ultimate advice. As I said, there's uh, two roads in Psalm 1 and in Psalm 2, uh, and there's definitely a road you don't want to take. So in these Psalms, we get warned with Strong, harsh words, okay? So as we get there, I just wanna, let's, let's back up for a minute. As I'm gonna read these words and you're gonna be like, you are so judgmental and you're all hellfire and, and damnation. Well, I just want you to know as we get there, please trust my heart, I am not being judgmental. If I stood on my own life, my own merits, what I've thought and said and done, I would fail according to these Psalms. So any judgment I read here would be judgment that I would deserve. So I don't, I don't come at this with any self-righteousness and there's no one in here who can say, hey, I'm up here and I've, I got an A plus on my Psalm one and Psalm two and therefore I can self-righteously judge all the rest of you. Oh no, okay, oh no. But listen, do you believe in justice? You believe in justice? I know you do. It's the last time you argued with somebody and you told them they were wrong. And you told them they should or should not do something because it's wrong. You know, speaking of happiness, I saw this lady. Where was I? I was at a mall or something. I wasn't at a mall. I hate malls. I was at a, I think I was at Knott's Berry Farm. And this lady had this shirt on that said, do what makes you happy. And I, the way my mind works, I'm just like, I'm totally mocking this. What if stealing your purse makes me happy? <laughs> you know, spitting on your french fries makes me happy. Well, then she'd be like, well, I didn't mean that. And then she'd say something like, you can't do that. Can't? Because it's wrong. 
And because when you treat people poorly, that's injustice and that deserves a just payment. Do you believe that? I know you do. There's not one person in here who doesn't believe in and long for justice. Well, be honest with yourself and and go to the end of that road, which means there is a just God who brings justice. And I heard somebody say once, without a day of judgment, there's no hope for the world. Okay, I need there to be a day of judgment where those who have abused the, the poor and the needy and the downtrodden finally get what they deserve. Don't you have people who have abused you and you long for justice somehow? Okay, Without a day of justice, there's no hope for the world. But then the flip side is, but with a day of judgment, there's no hope for me. Because I haven't always loved my neighbor. Are you kidding me? I haven't always loved this God who made everything. So as we get into these warnings, you could see them as, oh, how bigoted or unkind, but actually you should see them as love from the judge, okay? I have children, and one of my children is three, and he thinks he's indestructible, and he'll just shoot off across the road, and he'll be like, whatever, you know? I'll jump over the cars, I'm strong, daddy. What do I have to do with him about parking lots? have to warn him. Man, you get mushed. Don't you do that. Don't you go there. Don't walk that road. That's what's happening here. So let's look at the warning. Two roads in Psalm 1. Again, the assumption here, God has a law. You see that in Psalm 1. Verse 2, the happy person, his delight is in the law of the Lord. It's God's standard for what's right and wrong and how to love and how to, uh, how to live You see, also the wicked have a law, according to this psalm. There's a counsel of the wicked. So that's this, a way to understand what's important and how to live that does not respect God's law. Or stand in the way of sinners. That's a lifestyle of disobedience against God's law. Or sit in the seat of scoffers. What's a scoffer, you say? Uh, Proverbs 21, 24 Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. So the seed of the scoffer is somebody who mocks God and mocks his word, okay? So there's this whole kind of system of the world that doesn't like God, doesn't like his law. It gives you bad counsel, a wrong lifestyle, a seat of pride. And now here's the free advice. That's the road. And what does the psalm say? You don't want to walk, that road. Look at verse four. The wicked are like, what are they like? What does he compare them to? Chaff that the wind drives away. Verse five, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Uh, Do you see a parallel hill here? So in verse one, blessed is the one who won't stand in the way of sinners. And then you see how the word stand is used again. The wicked, verse five, will not stand in the judgment or sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And so what the psalm is saying is if you walk in this road of rebellion against God's word, you won't stand. When God renews the world and rewards his people, you won't be there. In fact, you'll be like chaff. Uh, how many of you, it was your life dream to be c- compared to chaff, you know? When I grow up, I would like to be a useless, empty husk blown about by the wind. The word here that the chaff represents is perishing. Perishing. What does it mean to perish? The way of the wicked, the psalm says, will perish, it's to lose yourself, it's to be undone. And let's just say this, it's kind of the opposite of being happy. So this is this warning, don't walk in a way that denies or despises the Lord's word. It's a warning. There's there's no way to escape the Lord and his authority and you don't want to walk down that road. You'll be like chaff, you'll perish. Same thing in Psalm 2, there's two roads, two kinds of people. In Psalm 2, instead of the emphasis being on the law of God, 
the emphasis is on God's king. Then let me back up here just for a minute. Why, why is the king important? Can we remember just the big like storyline arc of the Bible here for a second? Good God, a good God creates everything, creates you to be happy, to enjoy him, to enjoy what he's made, to enjoy one another. But we fall very soon into what the Bible calls sin, where we say, no, we don't trust you for what's right and wrong. No, we won't be satisfied with you even though you're God and you made us. Get out the way. We're gonna do this ourselves. That leads to brokenness and death, okay? But it, God is so gracious and kind, instantly he's saying, I'm gonna redeem you, I'm gonna redeem the world to myself. I'm a gracious God, instantly. And so he makes this plan. One, one guy, mysterious guy, Genesis three, he's gonna come and he's gonna save. And so the old, whole Old Testament, you're like, how's this gonna happen? How are we gonna get there? And so God goes to an undeserving man, Abraham, you're my guy, I'm gonna make a big family out of you. And then there's an undeserving family, you're my family, I'm gonna show you grace as you trust in me. Then there's this undeserving nation, you're my people, I'm gonna show you grace and hopefully the whole world is gonna see how good I am in you. And then in that nation there's this undeserving king and there's this promise to this king that he will have someone in his lineage who is deserving and who actually saves us all. So we're waiting for this king as we read this storyline of the Bible. And Psalm 2, of course, is about this king. Look at verse six. This is God talking. As for me, Psalm 2, verse six, as for me, what? I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. How does it sound? What's God doing here? What's he have? Just like he has a law, he has a king. He has a king. One road is some people hate his king. Look at verses one to three. Why did, Psalm two, one to three. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his, who? His anointed, his king, saying, let us burn their, their bonds apart and cast away their cords. So you've got God's lordship. He's lord, he's authority, he's in charge. How do the nations feel about the lordship of God and his king? What do they wanna do with it? Get out the way. I don't want your king. I don't want your lordship. How do, what is God's response in verse four? Is he wringing his hands, drenching the universe's tissue with his tears, wondering what went wrong? What does he say in verse four? He who sits in the heavens, what? Laughs. He laughs. And what kind of laugh is this? It's, it's not a funny joke. It's, a, it's the knowledge that he is Lord and their pride is so, it's pitiful, right? That, the, that those that he created and gives life and breath to would rebel against him. And then it says he speaks, he terrifies, verse five, he'll speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, I have set my king. D does God sound like he's gonna change his mind on his king when people don't like the idea of his king? Is that what's happening here at all? No, it's just like Psalm one, there's a law. And you can follow the law and be happy or you can deny it and be like chaff, but there is a law. Psalm two, there's a king. You can take refuge in the king and rejoice in him, or you can rebel against him, but it's not changing the reality that God has a law and God has his king. Do you see the two parallels here with these Psalms? They're both about happiness. They're both about uh, these two roads in responding to God's authority in his word and his king. And they're both giving you, uh, what a choice. Which way do you want to be? Which one do you want to be? And I think it's so fascinating as you put these two things together. Um, which one is it? Is it delight in the word or is it rejoice in the king? Well, it's obviously, it's obviously both. How does one rejoice in the king? You delight in the word. How do you know you're delighting in the word? When you're rejoicing in the king. Delight in the word. Rejoice in the king.
So let's just remember where we've been. Ultimate reality of the Lord. Number two, ultimate opportunity for happiness, satisfaction in God. Number three, ultimate warning. Don't perish on the wrong road. Now the challenge for your heart. The challenge for your heart. Look at the description of the happy person in verse one. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, etc., etc. Look at verse two. But his delight is where? In the law of the Lord. His what? Delight. What's delight? What is delight? Come on, you know. You know, it's something you just rejoice in, you long for. It makes you happy. You're excited about it. You pursue it. You daydream about it. You invest in it. You spend time with it. You delight in it. You delight in it. What do you delight in? Be honest with yourself. What do you delight in? Come on, what is it? Do you delight in God's word? The God of the universe is saying, the happy ones are the ones who delight in my word. And later Psalms are all about this. Psalm 119, 14. Listen to this. Psalm 119, 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Can any of us say that without being liars? The lottery or time in God's word, if you had to choose between the two. Now, a lot of us are like, can I try both? Is that a thing? Can I? But say you had to choose. Or how about this? If you got paid $100 for every hour you spent in scripture, would you find time to read it more somehow? Anybody? How many of you are like, I can't spend time in in God's word. I don't have time. What if I paid you $100 per hour? I'll find time. It's a question of delight. Do you delight in his word? Or you love it? You make time. Here's, Here's a principle. It's true for all of us. You make time for what you delight in. You give attention to what you delight in. Do you delight in his word? It's a challenge for our hearts. Uh, This word, uh, if you do delight in the word, you meditate on it day and night. Uh, The Hebrew word there is used for like the growling of a lion. If you just think of a lion, it's turning over and over and over. Or it's uh, the same thing as like, anybody like coffee? Yes, of course. Get those, get those beans percolating, the water's in the coffee and turning from just water to magic, okay? Coffee, okay? He's delighting together. He's marinating in this word. And if you think of uh, the wicked in this Psalm, Psalm 1, denying the word and they become like chaff. Those who delight in the word, look what you're like, a tree planted by streams of water. This is written in the context of a desert. And so you think of a tree planted right there next to a stream. How's that tree gonna, how's he gonna be? He's gonna be all right. There's this deep stability in this person. There's this strength in this person that come from always just planted right here next to this stream, growling over this word. It gives you consequence. Not only that, look at the kind of life it gives you. You're yielding fruit. And your leaf never withers. So what's the image doing here? You know, this one tree never hits a fall season. They're always green. The fruit's always there. And what does that mean for this person who delights in God's word? It's feeding you, and it, just like a plant takes water up and turns it into mangoes, okay? You're taking this word up, and you're turning it into love, peace, generosity, it's changing who you are and it gives you this sense, this ability to thrive despite the situation. There's a famine everywhere else, everything's going wrong but you're planted by the stream and you're gonna be okay. How many of the Psalms are like this? The author's facing all these terrible circumstances but he clings to God through his word and he has what he needs. This word just 
transforms you. Delighting in the law makes you delightful to the point where verse six, um, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. That's why he can say at the end of verse three, in all that he does, he prospers. Okay, this is not a, hey, if you believe in Jesus, you start making money, that's stupid. You may have seen that on TV, that's wrong. Uh, but there is a prospering when God knows your way. He's with you. You have a relationship with him. He's moving in you and through you. You're like a tree planted by streams of water. Do you delight in the word? Do you delight in his word? What would it look like for you to delight in the word? It was your joy, it was your passion. What kind of fruit could grow in you if that described who you are? What kind of joy could be there with greater delight in the word? Are any of you gonna try on some uh, like New Year's resolutions? Is anybody into that still? How about thinking out of one way you could pursue delight in the word? Maybe you're not even a Christian today and you've never read the Bible. I just want you to know we love you and we are so happy you are here and we would never wanna force anything on you at all. But I'd like to ask you to consider dipping your toes in God's word. Maybe start with the gospels and consider the life of Jesus. Who is he really? What does it mean that he rose from the dead? Have a look, have a look, look and see. Maybe you're already a Christian and you're like, yeah, I believe kind of these things. Would it be true of you that you're drenched with trust in the word, that you know what's going on in the Bible? What, it would mean, what would it mean to take a step towards delighting in God's word? Put it on there as something you're after because I know what you're ultimately after, remember? It's being happy and there's this ultimate reality of the Lord that exists and he is saying to you, if you really want to get to ultimate happiness, here's, here's one part of that equation, and what is it? Delighting in the word. Another challenge for our hearts down in Psalm 2. Verse 10, Psalm 2, verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. What's that next word say? Kiss the son. Of course, you're thinking in context of a king here. What does it mean to, to kiss the son who is the king? Um, there's a, a willing submission. There's a, a treasuring of this person to re rejoice with trembling is to want to be in his presence and to have this big view of who he is and to desire to, to please him. Do you rejoice in the king? Is that part of what your heart echoes? Your joy in who he is. Let's talk now about the ultimate Refuge, the ultimate refuge. If I test myself by these Psalms, I fail. Um, I have, in fact, walked in the counsel of the wicked. I have also stood in the way of sinners and sat in the seat of scoffers. I have also not always delighted in the law of the Lord as I should. Is there anybody there with me? Okay, Psalm 2, I'll fail this one as well. I have rebelled against God's good authority in my life and I have not always joyfully bowed my knees. Spoken straight up to me, they look good, they sound good, I understand them even, even now, I, I want them, but I'm also acknowledging um, my lack when it comes to them. It was so interesting to me as I was studying this um, Psalm 1 doesn't give a lot of, hey guys, go do this, does it? Did you see any commands in Psalm 1 or pleading with you? Or is Psalm 1 more just like, hey, this is the way it is? Okay, this is the way it is. There's a God, he has a law. Those who delight in his law are like this and ultimately they're happy in him. And there's a God and there's a law and those who despise his law 
and don't follow his law, they're like chaff. And there it is. It's like the trough of the universe and the water's going through it. And it's a description. That's how it is. And so if you're taking this text honestly, you could say, what hope is there for me? What hope is there for me? What do I do? Psalm 2 ends a little differently. It begins by talking to people who are explicitly rebellious. They don't like God and they don't like his king. But then at the end, it makes a plea to them. It, makes a, it gives an invitation. Did you see what it says? Verse 10, now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. So what's he saying to these people who have previously rebelled? You can still come on in. You can still be accepted. You can still be forgiven. You can still be renewed. Begin to love what you should. How does this work? How does this work? How do you become changed like this? Well, the key is all at the, in verse 12 at the end. There's a king that to, against whom we've rebelled but amazingly, he invites us to do what? Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So are you telling me somehow I can hide in the one, be provided for by the one that I've rebelled against? I can go be safe, go be changed, go be taken care of, go be satisfied by, by the, by the one I've turned away from? Is that what we're saying? Who is this? How does this work? Who is this? There's only one man who's ever truly kept Psalm 1. Who's the one person who always delighted in the word of his father? It's Jesus. Come on, look, look at his life. There's only one person. He actually ever said this. He said this in John. Who, can, who of you can accuse me of sin? That's a mind-blowing line. I love that so much. My mother is here today, so I won't even try on that line, right? <laughs> Who among you could accuse me of sin? And, you know. um, how many of you want to try this line on anywhere? Who can accuse me of never being a loving person? Everyone who's been with you for five minutes would be like, I'm just saying, right? Jesus said it, and everybody was like, you're right. We don't, I don't know. Nothing to say. He kept the word uh, to where we've been looking at his life in Luke, right? He's so kind to the poor and the downtrodden, so compassionate, yet so full of truth. He hangs out with the lost and the, the sinners and the outcasts, and he goes to them, and he, he loves them. He cares for them. There's nobody like him. He's the one who always delighted in the law of the Lord. And shockingly, not only does he love God's word, in John's gospel, he is called the word, he is God's communication. He's the embodiment of God's revelation. He's the very son of God. He's the only one who kept it. Speaking of Psalm 2 then, who, who's the anointed king? We sang it this morning. Who is this king of glory? And we got to the chorus, and what did we say? Jesus. Precious Jesus. Hey, guess which Old Testament book is quoted most in the New Testament? The Psalms, the Psalms. There's a, there's a book in the New Testament called the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church. And as they were going out and preaching about Jesus, they started to face some heat for that. And as they get together to pray, guess what Psalm they quote? It's Psalm two. And it's talking about Jesus' cross. The nations raged as they killed the king and hung him on a cross. But it's strange, because what's gonna happen if you delight in the word? Do you, do you remember? Delighted in the word being treated like chaff on a cross. Amazingly, Jesus was fulfilling the Psalms as he suffered and died. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus and his disciples sang Psalm 118. On the cross, when Jesus cried out, have you heard this? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. When he dies and says, into your hands I commit my spirit, he was quoting Psalm 31. Some scholars think Jesus was praying through the Psalms as he hung on the cross. 
And so as we look at Psalm 1 and 2 and look at Jesus fulfilling them, we see the one who kept the word, and yet he's not prospering or he's treated like chaff. And we see this ultimate king who instead of bringing judgment is being treated like that clay pot that gets the scepter right through it. The one who is the positive is wearing the negative. The one who walked the good road is being treated like he walked the dark road. Do you see? And this is how we take refuge in him. There is no refuge from him, but there is all refuge in him. Because as we look at the ways we haven't kept Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, we see the ways he has and how he paid the price for us in our place. The one who kept the law was treated like the one who despised the law for me and for you. The one who is the ultimate king was treated like those who have rebelled against the king for me and for you. So that as you look to him and if you would just trust yourself to him, take refuge in him, you find everything you need. You find forgiveness. You find you're made right with God. You find that you are loved, that you are accepted, that the judge of the earth has now adopted you as his child. And when you see what he's done for you on the cross, this is what changes your heart to be ready for verse 12 and to kiss that son and to rejoice with trembling at his love for you. And when you taste that love for you, something happens in your heart and you want more of his law. You want to hear what he loves, hear what's true, and you want to delight in it. And you want to growl on it and you want to cling to it and you want it to change you. Isn't that true, Christians? Isn't that true? That the king who uh, would owe you judgment instead took your judgment? That the one who obeyed the word completely would treat you like you have even though you haven't? Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Delight in the word, rejoice in the king, because you can take refuge in the king. You can take refuge in him. So my friends, we're facing a new year. The two arms of the Psalms lead us in a direction of happiness. Do you want it? Will you take it? Will you grab it? Will you pursue it? What does it mean for you to move forward in delighting in God's word and rejoicing in his king because you take refuge in Jesus and his cross. Let's move in that direction together. Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.